Welcome to all that are hungry and thirsty for reality. This message is coming to you through myself, David Thompson, from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia, with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. I just want to first of all refer all those that are new to my website at ultimatemeaning.com, where there is a flipbook with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And you will discover that a lot of the uh, print there is highlighted in red, which are links to very amazing and profound YouTube videos that highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing about here. And that's from many fields of science and archaeology. And what am I sharing about? I am sharing about the one true eternal God, who is the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love. And I love to briefly describe this one true eternal God. Uh, I find that for some reason when I'm in prayer, when I first start in prayer, when I use this particular term, I feel tremendous joy. Not that it has to be used, but somehow the Lord's blessing is really in me using this in prayer. And it is literally what would be described as the one true eternal God from the Old Testament uh, in the way they would say it in the original um, Hebrew. And of course, the two words that are commonly used in the King James Version are Lord and God in the Old Testament. And usually the word Lord, when it's with the word God, the word Lord is Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God. It is... Um, basically means the I am that I am. Jesus Christ said that he is the I am and meant when he said that, that he is the I am that I am. It means the very source of reality that is separate and above and beyond creation. That's the name of that first word and its name is Yahweh. And the second name is Elohim, which means literally the Almighty's One. And so when I come before God in prayer and I say, Yahweh, Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I feel such joy. Like the Lord is thrilled that I'm sharing and, and coming before him and, and describing him in this wonderful way. And so I've noticed that is particularly true when I say, Yahweh, Almighty's One, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one true God, briefly for those that are new, is the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love. And love is actually the very source of reality. And I could go into this in great depth because I'm writing a book which is basically done now. I'm getting ready to upload it in the next week or two and publish it on the internet. Um, and it's on the afterlife. Not sure what I'm going to make the title yet, but it might be something like Afterlife, Shocking, Irrefutable. I don't know yet for sure, but um, anyhow, all of those that are genuine Christians that experience a very detailed, amazing, wonderful experience in heaven, which is the only ones that do, by the way, out of all the YouTube videos, you won't find any from people that aren't Christians, that are genuine Christians that experience this. But uh, 
They all experience and describe how they know it's love that is behind everything that's causing the bright light that comes from God and the beautiful colors even that don't exist in this world and so on. And my, I could talk a lot, a lot about that, but you're going to have to get that book when it comes out. So um, I am sharing about this name. And the one thing about God is that this love is the highest form of love. It's a love that is greater than just the filial love, which is the feelings and the emotions of love. And it is independent of that. It is a choice that always chooses the highest lasting good. It's a choice that is free and volitional that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. This is agape love. Any choice that is less than a choice that chooses the highest lasting good would obviously have a measure of corruption. And this love is so pure, there is no corruption in this love. In fact, this love is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. This is the defensive aspect of the being of God, which is love, that ensures an indestructible, immovable foundation of reality from which can spring forth creation that can ever enlarge without end. That ensures a destiny where there's no corruption that we know as heaven and that these people experience. And boy, it's tempting to want to describe it all because when you're in that dimension, it's so superior to the physical dimension. Even your spiritual body is way more superior. You feel everything very physically. You can run on the ground, feel your feet hitting the ground. You can eat fruit in heaven and feel the juice running down your cheek. And then you can also just go right through objects if you want. Or you can have a thought and be there instantly. Or you can decide to walk in the air or float in the air or fly. You are not limited in your far superior body than this physical body. Yes, that's what they experience. Some of them have been dead for two hours and or almost two hours like Dean Braxton and so on. But I don't want to get sidetracked from the message today. And so I want to share with you how I share these messages. These messages are to the churches, to those that have come to the saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. And let me explain for those that are new that we only believe in one God. But this one God, to be almighty, must be in personage in the three ultimate aspects of existence in order to rule in and over those three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, beyond time and space, as God the Father, in creation, in the creation realm, in the time and space realm, as God the Son. The Son is the full expression of the Father, as mentioned in Hebrews 1.3. The word Son basically means expression. And in omnipresence as the Holy Spirit. And so... The only God that could be the one true God is the God that can be in three personages, as well as the one that could only be entrusted with unlimited power and authority 
and life without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, which would only be this love that is so great that will not tolerate impurity, that is actually the exterminator of corruption, that is the opposite of corruption, is the foundation from which springs forth the ultimate manifestation of the love of God, which is that God's love is so great that without violating this integrity, this purity of his love, he could take judgment upon himself for us. Yes, he came into this world in Jesus Christ and humbled himself and suffered more than you, a mere creature. Humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. And those that are in heaven and stand before Jesus Christ that have died and come back like Dean Braxton and others, say that the love is so intense in that dimension that there's no comparison or words that can describe it in earthly language. In fact, they know when they're before Jesus Christ that he's loving them so much like they're the only ones that exist in the universe and like he would have literally died on the cross if it was only them that existed. That's the kind of intense love they experience from Christ. That's how much God loves you. Why would one want to reject a God that loves you that much? That he died for you so that you could repent and be forgiven of your sins. And so I have a message to give to those that have repented and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have received Yahweh, the Almighty's, the one true eternal God. And what I do is I seek to speak as the oracles of God, because it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so I will speak to, seek to allow God to speak through me today. And so I do certain things to facilitate that. And I want to explain this um, about speaking as the oracles of God a bit further. In Revelations 19.10, it says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Basically, prophecy is speaking as the oracles of God, and it comes out of worship. When we worship God in spirit and in truth with great humility and reverence from the depths of our heart, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances coming forth that are coming forth fully from God so that we are speaking as the oracles of God. And this should be practiced in each member in the congregation. It's what was the case in the early church. When they came together, one had a song, one had a word of exhortation, another word of testimony, another a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. And so it is that we are to come together and that should be the main focus, is that we are so caught up in our worship of Christ and of being conscious of him in our midst that the people on the stage are insignificant compared to that. And then we move in the gifts of the Spirit and those that are in leadership should be facilitating it. It is God's plan and purpose for the last days. And so I am seeking here and what I do in order to speak as the oracles of God to facilitate that is to cast lots to get the possibility of any chapter from the Bible 
with two independent random applications, and then I cast lots with the other one, so I get two chapters that bear witness with each other as to the theme that God is wanting to speak for this day. And so that's what I've done today. And I just spent a half an hour, so I don't have much time to prepare. So I have to trust God to speak through me. I don't know what I'm going to share exactly. Far from it. With just a half an hour, I've just finished doing, meditating in these two chapters. But that's how I share these messages every day by the casting of lots, which is very scriptural, by the way. It says in Proverbs 16, 33, the casting of the lot on the whole, disposing thereof is of the Lord. It was extensively practiced in the Old Testament and also used by the early church to choose the apostle that would take the place of Judas. It was used by powerful movements of revival in church history, like the Moravians, which even chose their wives by the casting of lot. When you do this with great reverence before God and you're walking in a deep holy heart love relationship with God, it will work. But if you do it and you have sin in your lives or you do it in any measure of disrespect or irreverence, it will not work. So don't practice divination, but do know that God can use this. And he uses me that way and he may not, you may not be felt moved to be used that way to preach the word of God. So I want to share with you the two chapters I've received, and I also cast lots to get my song. Now I'm putting it up to 1,297 songs to include a whole bunch of worship songs that I have recorded from various churches that I was in in the past that were very, one that was very gifted and charismatic in their worship and their music. So, but most of these songs are from a hymn book that comes out of the work of, um, it's, was done uh, through Lifestream Ministry, which is related to Watchman Nee's work in China. He was martyred in 1972 and planted many, many, many churches with his co-workers, but they created many songs that have such meaning and depth and beautiful tunes. And then there's a whole bunch of others in this hymn book of 1,080 hymns from other sources. Uh, throughout church history. So today I cast lots, and it's not one of the nicer tunes. It's a good tune, but it's not one of the really super great ones I would put on my worship list that I have on my website at loverealize.com, which you're welcome to go to, where you can watch my messages or hear them and also um, enjoy about over 100 songs now on there really fussy that are really good for for the most almost all of them are really good okay so i want to get into the song and we're going to play this song right now first before i give the message so we will just bring up that song that i got by the cast ding of lot today
But I want to go to the uh, passages that I received today by the casting of the lot before God. And so we received today on, I'm just going to turn here a bit. Today is October the 18th of 2022 on Tuesday. And I received today Hebrews 4 and 1 Corinthians 5. And there is a common theme between these two chapters that isn't immediately ever evident, but the common theme is the choice to live in holiness and to cut off all that is not in our lives so that our heart is not hard, but transparent before God to bring our weaknesses before him in order to overcome and enter the enjoyment that God has for us in his appointed time. We must be open to the word of God to do its work of purging in our lives. So I want to first uh, go to uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, read from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he saith, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest." Seeing, therefore, it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, which is actually referring to Joshua here, which is the same name basically as Jesus. For if Jesus had given them rest, or Joshua, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? That's referring to rest in the fact that they would conquer the promised land and enter it and begin to enjoy of their conflicts of conquering it. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's so much in this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. 
For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now this passage is emphasizing the importance of being able to hear the voice of God and respond in obedience to God and pointing out the danger of falling into unbelief due to hardness of heart. And the solution is that we open our hearts up to allow the Word of God to have free course within us. This is very clear. Because it says, after saying, let us labor, therefore, in verse 11, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What? It says, because the word of God is living, you can say quick in the old King James, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing sonder of soul and spirit. And we do have a soul and we do have a spirit. The soul is basically our consciousness. Oh, I know a lot of people say it's mind, emotion, and will. Yes, it is that, but it's a lot more. It's our consciousness of who we are. That is the understanding in the Hebrew, if you look at soul. It is who you really are to yourself. And the word for name is who you really are expressed to others, which is Shem. And spirit is that aspect of our being with the capacity to worship God, to express ourselves unto God. And our soul is held in a state that is uncircumcised if our heart is hard. A person can have outward circumcision, but if their heart is hard, they have an uncircumcised heart. It takes the word of God as a sharp sword to take off that hardness. And so there needs to be a transparency in our heart before God so that he can expose what is of our soul in a state of enclosed, insular self-worship. Hardness of heart where you don't have any tears for those that are suffering around you that are poor. You don't have any tears for the loss because you're just so caught up in your own world. It's like the nucleus of an atom that has the electrons spinning around it that forms a hard shell from those electrons. It takes the positive and the negative to break that shell, which is to me a tremendous illustration of the fear of God. And what is the negative? It is what I described earlier at the beginning. It is the reality of who God is in the integrity of his love. And that we do not view the consequences of God's judgment, which is the integrity of his love, that we see in this world in our own lives with the suffering that we experience and those around us, which is the consequences of rebellion against God. And that we can become subtly bitter and unthankful and begin to have a distorted, idolatrous, monotheistic view of God as some dictator. Instead of seeing this integrity, this purity of God's love, this holiness of God as something that is good because it ensures a destiny for us 
and for this creation that chooses to receive God's mercy of eternal life where there's no corruption and it goes on forever. God wants our hearts to be circumcised every day through a life of prayer that is a deep turning in the heart that acknowledges first the holiness of God, which is represented in the negative symbol in electricity and in nature, and the positive symbol, which is the crossing out of the negative symbol, forming the symbol of the cross, which happens to be the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet in the symbolic letters that went from 1500 BC and earlier to 2000 BC and so on. And it means sign or symbol. That's what the cross means today, too. It's used as a sign, as a symbol. But it's the ultimate positive. That God's love would be so great and has always existed in a capacity from the infinite past, before the world was created, that it was a reality that he could come and die on the cross. It was so real that before the world was created, it was already in God and it had already happened in God. It was part of his being to have such love that he could humble himself more than you, mere creature, and suffer more than you, mere creature, on the cross. And so in this passage here, the next verse says, neither is there any creature Whoops, my little electronics skipped and pulled me away from that verse one sec. And so we read in the next scripture here, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We must come before God and recognize that he sees our motives. He knows everything about us. So why are we living our lives like he doesn't see us? I, it's a lot better to just get really honest before God in prayer and tell him, I'm too weak. I don't see how I can overcome this temptation. We all experience temptation. I'm still single. I still experience struggling with temptation in relation to having a wife. At times, I see some lady and <laughs> I say, God, I want this lady, but She's not a Christian, but I'll start praying for her to get saved. But oh my, you got to put it on the altar and bring your weaknesses before God and say, God, help me with this. I find it so easy to keep on wanting to think about this person and get my affection on them. And then I got scenarios going around in my mind of what I can do to get to know them. And then how did the children of Israel fall? They fell not through the curses of Balaam, but through Balaam telling... <clears throat> His king, get the women to go after them. And then what happened is they fell for the women. And then a plague came and had to smite much of Israel. God is wanting us in this hour to know a relationship with him that overcomes in our times of weakness. And so that's why it says in this passage here, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Oh, hallelujah. He experienced temptation just like us. And yet because he is God, he had such a union with the Father that he knew how 
to appropriate the grace of God and overcome every temptation so that he lived a perfect life without sin. And so it says here that when we feel weak and inadequate to overcome, it says, let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's in the time of need, the time of weakness, when we feel so inadequate and weak to overcome. Maybe we're about to be burned at the stake for the name of Christ. Some of the martyrs, they would put their finger through the kennel and say, I can't even put my finger in that kennel. How am I going to go there? But then they would turn to God. And when the time came and they gave their lives and they were lit up as torches, they were in victory and praising God with their hands in the air, in the air as they were consumed in flames and went off as a love offering unto God at the hands of their tormentors. I want to share with you the other chapter here and how it fits with this chapter, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Hopefully this electronics will take me right there. I did. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, for I verily is absent in the body, but present in the spirit of all judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. They were praising God and there was sin in their midst, really terrible sin, the sin of incest. They shouldn't have been praising God. They should have been mourning because they knew about this, many of the leadership at least probably all of them, and still they're praising God with sin in their midst. No, brothers and sisters, there needs to be a new order in the church where we come on our faces before God and we make the main church service a prayer meeting where we get in our faces and search our hearts before God and seek him and we become tuned in sensitivity to God and to one another so that if someone is suffering in our midst, we're not jumping around and joy, 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 and here is a person suffering because we're insensitive. Because we haven't tuned in. We don't tune in in the typical church services nowadays. It's always, oh, we're going to start off with lots of nice songs that everyone enjoys. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, God's calling his church to a new order. And that new order is that his house again become a house of prayer and a house of holiness that we get in our faces and become more conscious of Christ in our midst. And that we have that transparency before God and one another that will not tolerate leaven. And so I want to continue reading here about this. So he said that such a one should be delivered to Satan for the destruction of the spirit, the flesh, that their spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. 
for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. We need to do that in our individual lives and in the body of Christ. We need to have an attitude that is unsparing to those things in our lives that are an enemy to our very soul and to our very destiny and recognize that. But we do it in our weaknesses. We bring them before God. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, of transparency before God, of not allowing anything to go without the scrutiny of the word of God and our hearts to circumcise our hearts. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornication, fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or with extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not to eat. That is the attitude we're to have to those that come in our midst, claim to be Christians, but are living that way. Is that happening? It should be. And we should be the same in our own lives. Otherwise, what happens? We fall into a hardness of heart. This is what creates the hardness of heart that was described in Hebrews 4. And it takes the genuine fear of God, that negative and that positive, reciprocating who God is, seeing his holiness of good is good, and recognizing that he can give us the strength to overcome in our weaknesses. For what have we, for what have I to do? do to judge them also that are without. Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And we need to do that corporately as the body, not eat with such people, if that's the life they're living, and they're not willing to repent. We, of course, seek to restore people. In the spirit of meekness, realizing how easy we ourselves can fall, we don't come with pride. We come with broken hearts and love in our heart to those that are struggling. And we, show, we pray with them and we lift them up and see them come through, brothers and sisters. It says in the Song of Solomon, we have a little sister that has no press. What shall we do for our little sister? We will cover her with silver and gold and make her part of this beautiful building. Oh, brothers and sisters. May we come back to the first love. May we break up our follow ground. May we, it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on us. It is time for the body of Christ to come together and to seek to seek God, to fast, to pray, to cry out to him, the churches in your city, in your town and community to come together for three days of fasting and prayer and then return to never being the church the way they were, but become the conquering bride church. 
that God has called us to be, that will conquer our nation with the love of God, with the fullness of the gospel, with its manifestation of John 17 in our local assemblies. May we do it now at God's bidding when he calls us to come together and seek him. He is calling now by his spirit to the nations of the world and where I am here in Canada for the church to wake up and come back to their first love. He is calling for the churches throughout the United States to return to their first love and embrace and love purity, love holiness, because holiness brings wholeness in our being. It brings an abundant life in this world that can be abundant in the midst of being in a concentration camp and tortured because we know such a presence of God's love in the midst of it all. There may be times when it feels like God's gone and we're not, he's not with us, yes. But we learn, like Christ, that in those times we still trust the Father even though we feel forsaken like Christ felt on the cross. But he wasn't forsaken because he had a moral persuasion in the Father that could not be broken. So even though in our heart and our mind we cry out and say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There is this Moral persuasion, which is what the word faith means, pistis, basically means moral persuasion in God. In reciprocating his being, faith works by what? By the reception of who God is in his love, which is the turning in the heart in alignment with our conscience, which is the genuine fear of God that reciprocates his love and responds in faith, the opposite of unbelief, which is hardness of heart. So God is calling the church in this hour to repent. He's calling you as an individual to find your destiny in its fullness and the fullness of an abundant life that will overcome no matter what circumstances God allows. Every circumstance he allows in your life is for a purpose to bring you into greater fulfillment of union with him forever and with his heavenly family. So thank you for listening to this message. And remember, I have a book on the internet called God, Headship, and Body Invasion. I've lowered the price. I didn't realize I had it up there at such a high price. Well, it's the, in Canadian, it's still high. But in the American, it's less than $10 now. In Canadian, it's a 16-something. But it's God, Headship, and Body Invasion. So God bless you and may you um, help support me. I'm in a difficult time financially right now, so I appreciate anyone that would purchase that book. And uh, anything else on my website at Love Realize, there's other ways of support there, but it's not nonprofit, at least at this point. Unless God tells me to do a nonprofit, I will stay this way, but He may lead me to do a nonprofit. We'll just see about that in the future. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.